Canon is proud to sponsor No Film School and its coverage of the 2024 Sundance Film Festival, marking its 40th year as an event that showcases both the cutting-edge equipment and the talented filmmakers that bring visions to life. Canon and No Film School partnered on a party and a cinema camera giveaway. Canon celebrated its 14th consecutive year supporting the Sundance Film Festival. And the Canon Creative Studio at 528 Main Street featured panel discussions and the latest Canon products, including the brand new RF24 105mm f2.8 LIS-USMZ lens, a first of its kind. Visit usa.canon.com for all the latest news. Welcome to the No Film School podcast. We are recording day four of the Sundance Film Festival. This is Gigi Hawkins. I'm Joe Light. And I'm Ryan Koo. And we are here as the snow gently falls outside of our lovely No Film School house, where we are continuing to bring people in for the podcast, go out to people to talk to them about their films and watch movies and meet people who are just excited about filmmaking in general. One thing that happened last night was we had our first ever No Film School alumni party at the Cannon House. And you can tell our voices are a little hoarse from that. Yeah, we called it the alumni party because we wanted to throw a party like the film schools throw a party to celebrate uh, their graduates who have films at the festival. But we wanted to throw that party for people who didn't go to film school. And I mean, I don't know how you guys felt, but I thought it was a smashing success. There was a line around the block and we gave away a Canon R5C cinema camera to a lucky recipient who was, it was like we planted her because she was so enthusiastic and over the moon. And it really felt like a great beginning of us doing more of these things because obviously we have an online community, but the whole benefit of being at Sundance is that in-person interactions and meeting people and meeting other filmmakers and producers and people in this world is entirely different than meeting online. And you know, I, I think especially after the pandemic, that's an even starker contrast and an even more necessary thing. So yeah, Canon, I felt like their space was amazing and was the perfect sponsor. And yeah, I don't know, what, what were your guys' impressions? I came a little bit late because of traffic, as as there always is in Park City. But when I showed up, the I also took a picture. The, the line was still very, very long, about 20 minutes into the party. So I think people were out there the whole time. There was still a line. <laughs> oh. but the party ended, there was still a line. Yeah. So people were obviously very enthusiastic about the party. And I even had talked to people earlier in the day about how excited they were to come just randomly on the bus. So I thought the vibes were amazing. It was very much a community of people wanting to connect and talk about what they're doing and and just a general enthusiasm. It didn't feel like super schmoozy. It felt more like we're all just here hanging out together, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And I agree that the winner of the camera, Catherine, she was so sweet. She was, I talked to her and her friend for quite a while and they were just, she, she was just so excited. And, and just, I think the opportunity and the, and the possibility that was now in her hands with that camera is Essentially what No Film School is about is just, here are some tools, here's some how-tos, go and do it. Like, go and do it. It's, it's absolutely what it's about. And 
I said at the party that it was fitting for us to be giving away that camera because it's a descendant of the Canon 5D Mark II, which really sort of kicked off No Film School when I wrote an ebook about it. But to your point, when I was in college, I made a music video that won a competition and that the prize was a camera. And then I used that camera to shoot you know, student film, which got into festivals. And I sold that camera, bought a new camera, made a web series with that. And that's really what kicked off my career. Sold that camera, bought another one. And so without that initial you know, ability to, to go out and film things, I don't know, you know what, what my career path would have been. So it was really impactful for me. And I hope as we do this, uh, that it has that impact for her. But if you're not, if you weren't at the party, yeah, if you're not at Park City or if you were in Park City but didn't get in, we apologize. There is a fire code. We couldn't let in more people. <laughs> we are giving away a Canon R5C online too because you know our brand is, unlike the film schools, we want to be as inclusive and open as possible and accessible. So if you go to nofilmschool.com slash Sundance24, you can register to win an R5C. Yeah, Gigi, how was your party? It was really exciting to see this community come together. I appreciate all the folks who came up and spoke with us about what No Film School means to them, but also who shared their experience of what they're doing as filmmakers creating community. There was a a Wisconsin college student named Jared who came up to us and turns out through listening to No Film School and also just wanting to cultivate a more of a film community in Madison, Wisconsin, he started a film festival and has been working, we actually, you know, bonded over being graduates of or students of the Big Ten Network. And I'm like, where's like the Big Ten 48-hour film project? Like something that like we can tap into these already vibrant communities that exist, but bring the filmmaking angle into it. And I sort of got on this like tangent idea train with him of talking about how you can tap into that. And that is kind of what I feel like this is all about. It was like seeing the the ethos of no film school which is accessibility and taking out the ego of it all and not schmoozing but connecting and i feel like our our work and how we approach the podcast is like let's try to be vulnerable and human and recognize that we are here because we want to make things and that was that was the energy in the room and i really do hope that we can continue to bring people together physically you know we talked on the podcast a couple of weeks ago about the importance of being in the mix in person and making those physical connections. And we are a website and we bring information to people, but I think that the community is extending beyond that. And this was like the actual manifestation of that happening live on the ground at Sundance, which was so cool. And so cool that this was just a sort of seed of an idea of Ryan's for years now. And then it came together really quickly, which often mimics how film and projects come together. Like you have a spark and then you make it happen. So I felt very inspired and I just, I just love the energy. And to your point, Joe, about specifically Catherine receiving this camera, the, the speech she made was immediately, she was like, anyone can borrow this here. And I was like, that is again, so in the spirit of what we're trying to do here. And one other highlight of the party was we connected with a filmmaker who was on the podcast last year, CJ Fiery Obasi, whose film Mami Wata premiered at Sundance and went on to have an incredible film screening 
or festival run over the last year, including screening at the MoMA in New York. And I met him and his producers and they have, you know, sort of wrapped things up with this beautiful film, which I recommend going back, listening to that podcast episode where we talk about how they achieved shooting on the ocean at night. Like, how do you light the ocean at night? This like the hardest thing you can do as a DP. But on top of that, CJ was talking about his next film, which he and his producers are planning to shoot across three countries at the end of this year. And he said, you know, we're still getting our financing together, but we're shooting at this date. The flag is in the ground. And I was like, yes. Like we hear so much about like kind of how hard it is to keep going and keep the momentum going. But I just love the commitment to, no, we are doing it and this is happening and this will be his third feature. So that was also something exciting to see somebody, a filmmaker who has been following No Film School for for his career continuing to create stories. That's the other thing I like about meeting people at the festival is you you learn from their approaches and you think about your own projects that you're trying to make and, and sort of thinking about it differently or who you, you know, it's not just specific outcomes, like who you might connect with. It's also different methods. And that reminds me of, I'll make a book recommendation. The, there's a new book, The Path to Paradise, which is about the career of Francis Ford Coppola and it's not just his film career, it's also his entrepreneurial career, running a studio, you know, running a winery, sort of all the things that he did outside of filmmaking. So I, you know, it resonated a lot with me, but that was his approach too, is that he found that if he just told the studios that the movie was happening, that then they'd have to either get on board or not, as opposed to just sort of sit around twiddling their thumbs, thinking about how it might not succeed. So that's a nice lesson to, for all of you out there who are not here with us. Don't wait for permission. It's so easy to say, but it's it's some of the most vital advice is just like, just do it. Stop stop hedging. Grab some friends. Just do it. Plant your flag. One thing that is also exciting to see at the festival are these communities outside of New York and LA. For example, Film Kentucky and the Utah Film Commission and I think the Montana Film Commission, there's a lot of presence here in San Francisco. There's a San Francisco Film Society event happening. There are a lot of communities outside of these places that we sort of hang our hats on. This is where movies and TV are made, where people are here to actually help build and help specifically help filmmakers. We went to an event. It was a Texas Asian dinner and put on in partnership with filmmakers in, in Houston. And I was like, oh, Houston, one of the most diverse cities in the world. I didn't know that. And they are, they have a person in their travel office that is specifically there to help filmmakers navigate. So it was, it was really exciting to see that as well and see that presence that has been here at the festival since I first started coming and I'm sure has been here and is a great source for folks outside of New York and LA. Yeah. Should we talk about movies? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, you know, last time we talked, we'd seen a couple of things, and now we've seen a few more, I think. What has jumped out to you guys? There's been some horror in the house. There has been. I did the press line, Crazy House, last night, Crazy with the K. It's, it's hard to describe. It is, it's like a 90s sitcom with a laugh track shot that way so the whole thing takes place like on one one location in the soundstage and it just 
devolves into this wild home invasion, treasure hunting. I don't, it's very hard to describe. And I think what I told Ryan earlier is it's going to be very divisive because it's the last like 30 minutes are extremely, extremely weird. It goes into like religious commentary because the family in, in the fake sitcom are, their name is Christian and they're all extremely religious. And the cast is also amazing. Nick Frost, Delicious Silverstone, just going ham, honestly. Like they they really went for it. And it was it was definitely fun to see both of them and something that I've never seen them do before. But just the level of weirdness, I think, is going to either really turn people off or get them really excited. And I saw it at the premiere and the audience, for the most part, I think was very into it. Yeah, they they said it's it's probably one of the freakiest films at the festival this year, according to the programmer. And I would agree with that. So don't know where that's going. I don't think it's been, I don't, I don't want to, maybe I shouldn't say that, cut that out. <laughs> I don't know if it's been uh, picked up. I'll have to look that up. But one of the directors I talked to, Stefan Haars, is a No Film School fan. He specifically called this out as I was talking to him and, and just loves the site. So it's always cool to connect with filmmakers who, who love the site and have read the site. And it's just, it's, it's stunning to me that, you know, we're known all over the world. Especially young filmmakers. It's really, I just get an energy from meeting them, you know, at Sundance, you're often on the shuttles going to and from screenings and you'll, you'll meet people there. And I was inviting some students to the party. And when one of them found out that I'd started a new film school, she just went, Legend. <laughs> so yeah, it's all, it always feels great to to be offline, you know, and to and that's part of the I think the appeal of even just being at a film festival is going into a dark theater and turning your damn phone off and you know totally giving yourself over to something that no one else in the world has seen before. And like you, like I'm sure Crazy House was very different from your expectations. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I knew that it was sort of. And I saw one person on Letterboxd describe it as too many cooks just extended by an hour. And if you're into that, go for it. But if you're not, then you know, you know what, what it's going to be like, essentially. So, yeah. I, you seem it, like you're still processing the I film. am still processing. And this was it. Like, it was, it was probably 11 to midnight, I think, when, when we got out. So, yeah, I just, I wish I could say specifically some of the imagery that but it's just, it's too hard to explain and too, too wild to even like explain the backstory of there are communists involved. <laughs> there is a crucifixion that happens. There are weird, there's some weird commentary on like U.S. police. This is, I don't think I mentioned a film that was produced in the Netherlands. So mm. it's very interesting to see from the director's perspective, what American sitcoms are like, what what American police are like and our view of communism in the nineties and and things like that. So it's all, it's a very interesting, complicated soup. So on the note of politics, I can speak to a film that I really connected with. It's called War Games and it's a documentary directed by Jesse Moss and Tony Gerber. Jesse Moss is the director behind Boy State, which premiered here in 2020, was acquired by Apple. It's fantastic. Also premiering here is the sort of sister movie to it, Girl State. 
And and it's interesting because I'm the through line in his work is like sort of examining politics in, in the current age. And War Games in particular is a simulation with actual politicians and pe- government officials as if there was an insurrection happening in July or January 2025. And it is nonpartisan, though it definitely is sort of like looking at a what if scenario, like what if Biden wins and Trump denounces the election again. And it is fascinating. It is so timely. And I think it's such a interesting and important examination of how delicate democracy is. I love that it's a a, a dramatization in a way versus because you know, we're in this space and we're actually having Tony Gerber on the podcast along with a couple of other documentary directors. But we're going to be seeing so many different styles of doc and we're in this sort of space where documentary is turning the mirror on itself and is becoming very self-aware. And and I'm very excited for this film. I'm very excited to see the reaction of this film. And, and I think it lets us sort of like tap in as an audience to seeing how things work and pulling back the curtain in a way that's really important. So war games. Yeah. I want to talk to those DPs too. I'm hoping that we, we have a, some coverage of their side too. Yeah. The film I want to shout out is titled Didi. And it's about a young Taiwanese American boy in the Bay Area in Fremont in California growing up. It's a coming of age story. And the uh, writer-director, Sean Wong, was in the Sundance Labs. And, you know, his, his inspiration, I think, was coming of age movies like Eighth Grade and Stand By Me. I mean, he said, it, he said as much that that was his inspiration. So I'm not actually coming up with anything original here. But, um, you know, there, there hadn't been a movie like that that was about someone who looked like him or looked like me. I'm, I'm the DD in my own family. DD means like little brother, and I'm the younger brother. So it was. <laughs> It was the kind of Sundance screening that you love to, to be at the premiere because there were so many cast and crew there and people were so enthusiastic. And it, it you know, really captures a lot of universal truths and hardships about growing up. And I, I hope that people, it resonates with an audience beyond you know, the sort of Asian American community here because so much of it is just like, it, it took me back, you know? And that's what was so effective about the movie. You, you see him trying to talk to girls and fumbling it. And we, we were just like groaning in the audience. It was like a horror movie. But yeah, you know, things, things go so wrong for him, but that's what, that's what, you know, makes coming out the other side feel so rewarding. So it's just a really assured piece of writing and directing from a really promising voice, Sean Wong. I hope we'll, we'll get him on the podcast eventually. And yeah, Dee Dee. I love that there are so many Bay Area films. Yeah, yeah the Bay Area here is really well represented. Blowing <laughs> up. We have Freaky Tales. We have Dee Dee. We, oh, Seeking Mavis Beacon. Oh, yeah. yeah. They is like very much based in West Oakland. I love to see it. I love <laughs> to see to it. Shout out to SF film. Yes, yes. That makes, that gives me hope because sometimes I'm like, will I ever be able to move back there, raise a family there and still be a filmmaker? And I did once meet a, a showrunner who was like. <gasps> I feel like a lot of people in the pandemic realized that they could be somewhere else and they moved to 
Hawaii or Portland or, you know, I mean, a lot of the meetings became Zooms anyway, which defeated the purpose of me personally moving to LA no. right before the pandemic. But hey, you know, you can't control these things. We're glad you're there though. Yeah. Another reason that like being here at Sundance and we talked a lot about the smashing into people, running into people left and right and the power of that in this world where people are relegated to Zoom and also secretly living in <laughs> Yeah, I think, uh, you know, to that point, I wasn't sure coming to Sundance what my agenda was as a mm-hmm. filmmaker. Sometimes I come in and I'm, I, you know, last year it was like, oh, I want to, I want to meet reps. You know, some, some years I come and I, and I know that I just want to see as many movies as possible and be creatively inspired. And I think what, what, what has been fun for me about this one is just sort of letting it more organically come to me as opposed to grasping for it. And, you know, if you meet someone who might be right for your project or meet someone who can connect you to something that that is always great but to not feel like you're pushing for it has been has made it a, a a more fun festival for me you know to not be what my friend called shooting all over yourself oh you know? i should have done this i should have done that yeah, yeah. Oh, I, should, I should have talked to that person i should have got the intro yeah. i should have done this and just you know sort of let the the masses of people who love film here that are colliding you know help you in a way that maybe you weren't even planning on. And it's been, it's been a really great networking sort of event without really me even planning on it being that. I have a lot of new ideas, you know, coming out of it in terms of, oh, who do I want to talk to and who might be right for this project? And yeah, it felt, it felt great to sort of just come here without a specific expectation and then be pleasantly surprised. I'd love to hear about like the festival, the festival magic moments, like something that happened. And again, we're, we're not done with the festival. We're here, we're here for at least another day and some change. But anything that sort of made you feel like very happy to be here and happy to make that connection, whatever it may be. Hmm. That's a really good question. When I was in line for I Saw the TV Glow, the guy in front of me wanted to go to the concession stand and he asked me to save a spot. And he bought me some popcorn. And then he didn't, he like didn't talk to me at all. Like he just was like, here's your popcorn. And they put butter on it. And I was like, can I Venmo you? And he's like, no. And he just turned around and then he was just like, here to see the movie. There was no like ulterior motive at all. It was just really, just a really kind moment that has never happened at any other festival that I've been to. I think for me, I was leaving the Texas barbecue Asian. It's a, it's a weird title of a party. Basically, a Asian Houston film producer loves barbecue and wanted to bring it to uh, Sundance. So when I got there, I asked him why barbecue, and you know, it was as simple as he loves barbecue, and that's that's what's great about it. When I left, there was a producer that I'd been meaning to catch up with for a long time, and we both just happened to be leaving the party at the same time, mm-hmm. going to the same screening, and then we went to the same after party, and I was thinking about the difference between, I already had his contact info. I could have emailed or texted him without coming to Sundance, but it's completely different now that we talked about the project I'm working on. We talked about what he's looking to do. I found out where he is now. And we have a relationship as a result of the sort of kismet of of leaving a party at the same time. Mm -hmm. And those are the kinds of things that always make me feel like, oh yeah, Sundance. Like I'm never not coming to this. If if I, as long as I can come, I want to be here every year. And and that's the kind of thing that, again, it, it came to me. You know, I didn't, I wasn't like trying to stalk somebody, like mm-hmm. waiting for them to leave the party. Like it just happened in a really organic way. 
my festival magic moment, I have, I have two. One is I, so my manager just started working with a, uh, a, a documentary filmmaker. We grabbed coffee yesterday morning. He heard that I was shooting a film in Panama and he said, oh my gosh, my friend also finished shooting a film in Panama and we're on sort of like the same timeline trajectory in post. And so he connected me with this other guy. And then at the No Film School party, Stephen, my partner was there and he ran into somebody that he had met earlier and introduced me. It turns out that this guy, Ari, produced the Panama film. And we were like, wow, we, we got to talk Panama film production. How was your experience? We look up on Instagram and we had the same sound guy, Cesar. So oh, wow. it was amazing and such a small world and so exciting to see how, you know, there is that sort of crossover within that community. The second thing, and this is sort of a, a, I'd say more of like a lesson than a festival magic moment, but on Friday night, you know, I was going to a friend's premiere party and the vibe was just weird. It was, it was off. And, and I think it started when people were cutting in line who didn't know what the film was. They mm-hmm. were like, I don't know what this is. Like my friend Stan is in there. Mm-hmm. I'm like, why are you here? Especially because I was with somebody who worked on the film. And I was like, come on, this is about the filmmakers, not the partying. Anyway, got in, saw a creepy guy from last year. Ryan knows who it is. And I was like, oh, I hate everything about tonight. Tonight's vibe is off. And I, in the past, as a younger person, would have had sort of this like guilt FOMO of like, I'm here. I need to be here. I need to be on. I need to be schmoozing. I, I stayed. I, you know, said hello, congratulated the filmmakers. And then I was like, and now I'm going to take myself to bed and rest. <laughs> and I prioritize rest. And I, I think, again, you know, here I am in my 30s and I think I need that a little bit more. I know we have, it's a marathon, not a sprint, even just to get through this festival. But I was really proud of myself to, that I gave myself permission to say like, hey, it's okay if I'm not going to be my best self and I'm not going to be on tonight. If something's off, I'm going to listen to that. I'm going to go and chill and it was fine. And then of course, last night, best night ever. Yeah. So. that It is interesting to be at a festival annually because it's kind of like a birthday in a way where it's a mile marker and you can see how you've changed. This is, this is 10 years since I was in the screenwriter's lab. And I mean, it's like I'm just a completely different person. And to your point, yeah, I think I would have cared so much more about that type of environment or the perception of me or whether I was being respected or not. And so the nice thing about coming back every year is it, you know, you get better at it. You, you understand yourself more, you understand the industry more. And yeah, that's, it's fun to hear. And I'm glad you didn't encounter the creepy guy. Yeah. yeah. I kind of have a lesson then too, just thinking about, so yesterday I had a, I was with the shutter, like IFC people for, for a little bit. So I put on one of my Halloween shirts, Halloween, the franchise, and I was not planning on wearing it the whole day. I thought that I would have a time, like time to come home and shower and change, ended up wearing it all day. And I think what I learned from that is just, it's okay to, to be a nerd here. Like so many people came up to me, producers came up to me asking about like, what do you, what do you like? What, let's talk about horror. In the press line, I talked to some, some other like media people about horror. And so it's just, I, I just think that there is very much the environment that I think you've talked about, Ryan, where it's like a little bit corporate, a little bit the executives, but there's also just like people that love film here and they will find you if you're, you're open about it. 
Can I just shout out the shirt you're wearing right now? Yes, you can. It's it, E.T. I just thought, I didn't even notice that. Yeah, it's E.T. It's an E.T. <laughs> and like, it has stills from throughout the film. Yeah. And it's just iconic. I, yeah, I love that. Thank you. That's such a great insight, too. But shout out to Jason and his Spielberg love, Jason Hellerman. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, I have a question for you, Ryan, which is what would you tell... 10 years ago, Ryan Koo, now. Like, what advice would you give to your younger self, especially in the context of Sundance career at this milestone marker? It's a really interesting question, especially, I think, in light of me having just talked about DD, a movie about being a little brother. And I think as filmmakers, as storytellers, as people who are creating worlds and having a perspective on the world, it's often hard to know when you're, when you're getting the opinions of others about your work. It is hard to know when to listen and when to stick to your guns. And when you look around, you know, most people are probably either overconfident in themselves and their work or not confident enough. And it's hard to find that balance. I think in 10 years, you know, reflecting on it, the things that I've been successful at have been where I just followed my instinct and I was able to do that. And the things that I haven't been successful with were where I needed somebody else's approval. And so when I look back on it, it's like I needed to be more confident. I needed to be more sure of myself. And I made a lot of compromises on my feature and in other things that it would have been better to, to not be the sort of like little brother who says, yes, okay you know, okay, we'll do it that way. And that's a really valuable lesson to learn because you don't learn that unless you write several scripts and make a feature and go from soup to nuts and go through the editing process. And like everything that's happened since that first Screenwriters Lab selection has taught me so much and prepared me so well for my next movie. So yeah, I think that's, I think that's pretty universal. You know, you get, as you get older, you just get to know yourself better. And that makes you a better filmmaker. I love that. Like being true to yourself, being true to your style. And, and the rest will come. The rest will fall into place. I think I'm going to be true to Joe's style. Yeah, I that's want, actually I what I shirt. meant. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Thank you. And the, yeah. the, the shirt yesterday was iconic. I'm so, so glad much. it, it yeah. got the love, the love. Well, yours was too. You had that like sheer black look that was like very stylish. And you got some call outs too, I know. I do like that about Sundance that it's like, you know, people aren't in tuxedos here, mm-hmm. right? It's it's dressed down, it's funky, yeah. it's mountain beanies galore. Yeah, actually, I lost mine, but <gasps> that's why they give that's the way they give free ones away. Did yes. you get your other? I think one? I lost it on the shuttle yesterday. Oh no! Uh-huh. I have a free NYU one you can have. It's purple with a you poof ball. Film school hat. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. I was so wrong. So wrong. I'll take, take it, it back. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, we, we've talked about all the the good things about being at the festival. I don't think at this point in time we can really draw conclusions. We haven't, you know, as we record this, it's still basically the opening weekend. We haven't seen any big acquisitions yet. And that's always sort of what leads people's opinions of the health of the market. Actually, can I interject right there? Ooh, um, we have Searchlight just bought a real pain for 10 million. Yay. That's yeah. good. <laughs> I love that. I love that movie. Oh, I haven't seen it yet. I haven't so seen good, it either, it, but I have heard amazing things. Jesse Eisenberg, direct, directorial debut. Mm-hmm. We may or may not be having him on the podcast. Really? Kieran Culkin, what a 
what an American gem of a person, <laughs> of an actor, shot in Poland, which I think is interesting speaking about like other film communities, but it's a very American U.S. story. Mm-hmm. That's great to hear. The thing that worried me the most about Sundance is there are no water bottles this year. For, yeah, for however many years Sundance has been on, at least as long as I can remember, every year you come here and it's high altitude and it's dry and everyone needs to hydrate or they're going to get bloody noses. <laughs> and so they give you a free water bottle and then you, know, you take that with you the rest of the year. It says Sundance 2018, you know? And uh, yeah, you know, it's, things are tough. There's no water bottle. There's no water. Well, we <laughs> didn't talk about, about the gift film. bags. The gift bags. Oh, yeah. So as press, we get gift bags and we often get the water bottle in the gift bag. And sometimes it'll have like little bars and things that are tied to the sponsorships. This year's gift bag had just a pamphlet. The gift bag is the gift. There's nothing. The swag bag has no swag. It's, it. yeah, it is what it. It's a very nice bag. Yeah, I'm it is. This bag, you know, but it, it's um, got a zipper. That's good. Oh, a zipper. Yeah. Okay. So there are things that are improving in independent film. Yes. <laughs> the vessels for carrying. We're moving up. But I think that is, it is uh, a good thing to, to note that sponsorships are tight. You know, I've heard and overheard conversations that, you know, we're in sort of a constricting time. But what that means for us is like, we have to take it into our own hands as independent filmmakers, find ways to make things. Molly Manning Walker, who episode is coming out around this one, I think it may be dropping tomorrow. Uh, when she was working as a DP and there was a stint where she was not employable, like she could not get a job. Of course, now she has a film that she directed called How to Have Sex that you know is acquired by a movie and is coming out in theaters on February 2nd. Um, but she said that she went out with her phone and made a film every day. And, you know, that is in our control. So as we watch, and hopefully we have better news, more news, hopefully we get that big Apple acquisition. I mean, the the, the people are here. They're here and they're watching mm-hmm. and they're looking for that thing. But, you know, I'd say, of course, take it with a grain of salt as we continue to make things. <laughs> Chop wood, carry water. What's the filmmaking version of that? It's like, uh, write script hit record yes i like that i feel is that the title of the podcast (laughs) it's good it's good let's do it well thank you guys so much for joining us on this morning and i can't wait to hear about the rest of your festival experience thank you to our listeners for tuning in you can get more no film school at nofilmschool.com along with our extensive sundance coverage You can also like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. And you can follow us on social media at No Film School. Thanks for listening. And thank you to Canon. Oh, yeah. Let's let's party again. Yes. (laughs) 